question isn't rhetorical. Okay, I'm looking for answers to this question. Um, and, and, and the question is quite a simple one. Is, and I'm going to qualify it in a second. What makes you tick? Okay. Now, I'm qualifying this because I don't want anyone who's feeling a bit wide this morning to say my heart. Okay. <laughs> because I know that's one of the answers I would get. And I know most of us would love to be able to put our hands up and say, it's God. It's definitely God. But oftentimes... Um, we want to be in that place, and we know it's great to be in that place, but sometimes it's a struggle to, to, to be in that place. Um, so basically what I'm saying is there is no right or wrong answers, but please don't say your heart, okay? So when I ask the question, what's, what, what's making you tick? What's got your juices flowing? What, what are you really enthusiastic about at the moment? Come on, give me some answers. People. Being in a church family and people. Having friends. Having friends. Excellent. What else? <laughs> you, you, you want to check Twitter about some of the, some of the features that's got. Uh, what else? Creation. Creation. Excellent. What else? Come on, give me another couple. Work. Work. Brilliant. What else? One more. Come on, somebody. Love. Love. Excellent. There we go. We've got some fantastic answers there. And I'm asking that question because there are lots of different things that make us tick and that we're passionate about and that we're enthusiastic about and that we commit our times and our energies to. But one of the questions I want us to engage with a little bit this morning and to wrestle with, and I think it's powerfully revealed in verses like these, is what makes Jesus tick and what is compelling him to act in some of the ways that we see him acting in. And therefore... Because he is the king of the kingdom, what some core parts of the DNA and, and the things that we want to take upon ourselves that would become our passions and our priorities and part of the things which make us tick. And these are vital things because we, we are in a world in which it desperately needs compassion. We're living around people who are desperately seeking compassion and hope. We're living and often encountering many people, often silently, who are broken and struggling and finding life really difficult. And what they're looking for is hope. And we come together on Sundays and we sing things like, Jesus is the hope of the nations. He is the hope of the world. He is the hope of our lives. But do they see that? This morning I'm wearing this uh, little badge that I got from Marfa. It's a, it's a see me badge. And it recognizes the, the, the challenges that many people are going through when it comes to mental health issues. People, often that we can relate to because we will experience things like that ourselves who are looking for hope and compassion. I was on Facebook, which I'm very rarely on, and was actually quite traumatized by an article which was shared. Now, I'm not sure where it was from, but it was a 13-year-old boy who had taken his own life because he was relentlessly bullied at school. 13 years old. Awful. And it's to this world, to, the, to this people, to people who are experiencing difficulties such as that, that God sends each and every one of us. And he does so because... We are to be the people of the kingdom, the people that seek ye first 
the kingdom of God. Those with the soft hearts, they aim to show the good shepherd to those around us. What makes us tick is a fun question because we get a variety of interesting answers. I never ever thought software would be an answer to, to that, but brilliant. But seeing what makes Jesus kick and what, makes, and what compels Jesus is very important for us. And maybe this morning people were thinking I would be talking about Nehemiah's walls or something like that and about buildings. And I don't know, maybe I should have. But I felt very strongly that what we need to continue exploring together in the context of discerning this building is who we are as a people, as followers of Jesus Christ. Because if that building is built down there and I don't know, two months, not two months, two years, should I say. <laughs> I'm being just a little bit optimistic there. We should desire to enter it, not as those who have completed a building project, but those who are disciples of Jesus Christ, who are salt and light to the world around us and who are manifesting the hope of Jesus Christ to those around us because it's those people that God can use. The people that have ticked off a building project and become centered entirely around that need to once again find their way outward. So let's not make the mistake of turning entirely inward, but seeing and being reminded of the heart of God and letting that guide our priorities as we make these decisions and continue what is an exciting journey together. So I want us to look this morning at these verses. The introduction, by the way, was meant to be the short part. That bodes well for you. Good job we cancelled the evening service, eh? (laughs) I'm joking, I'm joking. I saw some of the looks of us getting there. Um, So let's have a look. Firstly, I want to, picking up on where we were two weeks ago when we looked at the sending of the disciples and how Jesus sent them out having taught them and having lived with them and having showed them a little bit about who he was. And yes, we know that there's much that they continue to get wrong, but they go out with that flavor and fragrance of Jesus. And yes, they, they don't have the full effect and none of us ever will, but they go out with that and we pick up here with them reporting back. Now, I want us to recognize what an amazing moment this must have been for those disciples because, let's face it, Jesus sent them out in in, in a fair leap of faith. He basically took away all and, and told them not to take any provisions for themselves, but to go out into all these different towns, not knowing the kind of welcome they were going to get, not really having provision for themselves that was adequate, but to trust in God and to serve these towns and the power of God. And, and they come back and they're able to report that actually God has met them there. God has used them. And amazing things have happened as they did. That must have been such an amazing moment for them. And I'm sure they were very eager to explain to Jesus all that had taken place and these different towns that they had served in. But by the sounds of it in these verses, they're not really getting the opportunity to do any of that. Because you've got people coming and going constantly. And um, and they're just getting, they're getting no opportunity. It says, for many were coming and going, and they didn't even have the leisure to eat. That sounds like a pretty hectic environment, because I don't know about yourselves, but it would take an awful lot of people coming and going before I would not be able to eat. It takes a lot to stop me getting to food. But that was the situation they're in. It was clearly a very busy environment in which they were trying to report back all this amazing stuff that they'd been caught up in. And you could just imagine the enthusiasm and the excitement that they must have been feeling at this moment in time because what they've seen Jesus doing, what 
they have been with him as he did, they themselves are now doing that as well. How awesome is that? They have become, as we said two weeks ago, participants in Jesus' mission and ministry into the world. And great things were happening because of that. God had met them where they were and God was working through them in amazing ways. And I think that's a, that's a real comfort and, and, and an encouragement to us as well because God asks us to do the same, to go and, and at times to step out in faith and to see God meet us in those places and use us to bless and to touch the lives of those around us as well. And the kingdom is growing because of their work and because of the work of Jesus. This was Jesus' mission into this world. He is the one who is a liberator. He is the saviour. He is the king. And um, as we powerfully heard a while ago, he is that chain breaker. He is the one who fulfills those words that we read in Luke chapter 4 and sends into this world and brings into this world this kingdom that should and is here to bring hope. I read an absolutely amazing uh, little thing on, uh, it, was, it was Twitter, and I don't spend all my time on Facebook and Twitter, okay? But I, I, it, was, it was shared that um, this guy who has been working as, I don't know, a, a joiner or something like that, something that uses tools, he never said, um, and um, somebody who'd been fired from there um, eight years ago had suddenly shown back up and returned, I think it was about £20,000 worth of stolen tools that he'd taken from the place. And of course, you could imagine that one of the first questions they were asking is, well, why are you bringing this back? And he says to them, I'm bringing this back because I have, given, I have found Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour, and I'm returning these things to you because I, I, I recognise that I shouldn't have taken them. Because this kingdom that Jesus has brought into this world, this kingdom that we are part of, isn't simply about speaking about hope. It's experiencing hope. And it's no small hope either. It's a transforming hope for individuals' lives and for our cultures and nations as well. It's a hope that transforms people and it's a hope that transforms situations. And history is littered with testimony of that being the case. This isn't a kingdom about territory and power which so much of the nations today are so obsessed about. It's a kingdom that's about facing darkness. It's a kingdom that's about facing sin and seeing the power of God triumph in those spaces and places. As Jesus sends them in power, so he sends us as well. But the needs we see here get starker. Jesus' hope is that he can take the disciples and he can get them to a place of rest where no doubt they could chat and and, and discuss together what's all unfolded and get some much-needed rest. And there's actually an important point there. When they come back to Jesus enthused and sharing what they've been through and no doubt energised by it, Jesus recognises the importance of rest. Rest is important. Rest matters. It's not a sign of weakness and it's not something that's optional. Jesus recognises the need of that here and he wants to get them away, but sadly, 
that's not going to work. And, and, and the reason for that is that apparently the geography of, of the surrounding area is that if you know it well, when the, the, the boat goes, the people could get there quicker, which it seems is precisely what happens in this case. The needs of these people, they end up where Jesus is going even before they have arrived. So when they get there, instead of a very desolated area, which is what they were going for, there's towns and towns and towns of people there instead. I wonder just like how the disciples might have felt at that point. They think they'll get this time alone with Jesus and they can speak about what's happened. And when they arrive, they've got a multitude of people waiting for them there. These people are seeing in Jesus and no doubt the disciples now as well, this element of hope and they are responding to it. There's something really powerful and significant that takes place at that point because this, this great need is identified. I think actually it's one of the, the, the great tests of our character is interruption. Who here likes being interrupted? I think you're stupid now, William. <laughs> <laughs> um, Interruption is a really difficult thing. When you make plans and you've got this idea of what you're going to do, then somebody comes along and, and, and the whole thing is kind of just, well, swerved. We find that difficult, don't we? Yeah, I know. But uh, you're not interrupt, even though it's not easy. Yes, it's difficult for us to do. And, and, and I think we could all identify at times we've not always responded that well to it. Rest matters, and Jesus knows this, and this is why he is taking them away, but yet they are disrupted. They're interrupted by the needs of others. And they're disrupted, actually, because the kingdom's nature and the nature of the king is to engage with those needs. Wouldn't it be wonderful if people saw and the churches littered in this town and the many other surrounding towns in our nation, that there was a people that they could interrupt when need arose and they didn't know where to turn. But maybe appreciate interruption there. But they see that in Jesus. Because as Jesus looks on them, his desire is to meet those needs, to engage with those people. And you see this compassion of Jesus. In fact, the verse explicitly says that he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus has compassion. That is his response as he sees this multitude of people, even though his intention was that he would take his disciples and get them rest. He doesn't see it as an inconvenience, even though if we're honest to a degree, it is because it wasn't what his plans were for this point in time. He sees them with compassion. He knows their needs and it is great and it's his desire to meet those needs. The truth is that this is who our God is. This is what he's like. This isn't, a, this isn't an irregular occurrence. This is Jesus and therefore this is the God of the Bible. He has compassion on people and his desire is to teach them and to liberate them 
and ultimately to bring them home. And God, through Christ, will break through every bit of junk that prevents that. The sin, the addictions, the idols, all of it. To draw those people back to himself. It made me ask the question, again, when people look into churches today, do they see reflected outward an approachable God? Do they see reflected back a God who has compassion? Who sees them as sheep without a shepherd? Do they see that God? Or do they see a God who needs something to deal with all that stuff before they dare come near him? Yet as we've sung and as we know, God has in Christ dealt fully, finally and completely with all of that stuff. And his desire is to draw people back to himself once more. This compassion we see through Jesus, but it goes so much deeper because Jesus sees not just a group of people with need, he sees a group who are like sheep without a shepherd. He is that shepherd. I want to read a few um, statements from... uh, the, the, it's a, the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery, okay? And um, it picks up very much on this concept of what a shepherd would be because I, I think sometimes when we think of a shepherd, we think of sheepdogs and fences and, um, I don't know, tractors that get in our way, narrow roads and we can't get past any of that stuff. Um, but we have a very contemporary idea of what sheep and shepherds is like. But let, let me just share what it was like in ancient Palestine, okay? The conditions of shepherd in an ancient, ancient Palestine provide the foundation for the figurative references, such as the one we're getting here. These conditions were very different from modern practices. And Norman, if that's not right, then just... just um, sheep were not fenced in and left to fend for themselves. Instead, they were totally dependent on shepherds for protection, grazing, watering, shelter and tendering to injuries. In fact, sheep would not survive long without a shepherd. And building on that, it later says this, the helplessness of sheep helps explain the actions and qualities of a good shepherd, who in the Bible is a case study for care and compassion. It was the task of a shepherd to lead the sheep from nighttime protection in a sheepfold on safe paths to places of grazing and watering. After morning grazing and watering, sheep typically lie down for several hours in a shady or cool place. Great life they have. Returning at night to the sheepfold where the shepherd would attend to fevered or scratched sheep. Shepherds were thus providers, guides, protectors, and constant companions of sheep. They were also figures of authority and leaderships of the animals under their care. Shepherds were thus providers, guides, protectors, and constant companions of their sheep. So when Jesus looks on this group of people, he looks on them with this desire, that this is who he would be to this group of people. When Jesus looks on us, he looks on us with this desire, that he would be our 
good shepherd. When Jesus looks out there, to the 10,000 souls in Ellen or to the however many in Pitmedin and New Deer and New Pitsligo and wherever we're coming from, Newborough, this morning, when he looks in those places, he has that same desire for those people. Without doubt, without question, that is there. So perhaps there's a corporate question. Does that shine from this body of people into this town? But there's also the question for us as individuals. Does this good shepherd and the hope and the nurture and the care and the protection and the provision that he offers us and that we experience day by day, even though often at times we're almost entirely ignorant of it, does that reflect and how we live before those around us? People need hope. People are looking for compassion. They're looking for meaning. In our culture, this is abundantly clear in the seismic shifts that we've seen taking place in the last several years. People are looking for something. I believe, I truly do, that Jesus can meet that need. For the most broken, for the most ensnared, for the most troubled, even for the most difficult and argumentative, he is that good shepherd. And he looks into this world with mercy and a desire to draw people through him, to him, and he works through us, through you, and through me. And that's amazing. At times we too have the privilege of being able to prayerfully say to Jesus, I did this, and I saw your power work through me, and it was absolutely amazing. I cannot believe it happened. Jesus, you are amazing. What you're doing is amazing. And I'm seeing you using somebody like me to touch and transform people's lives. And that truly is amazing. Finally, we have the, the, the great meal. And I think that there's an element of this which is actually quite humbling. The, the, the first part of this is um, the disciples come to Jesus. Um, when it grew late, the disciples came to him and says, this is a desolate place, now is now late. Send them into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. Could you imagine their, their reaction at that point in time? Mul- multitudes of people. In fact, the response to this is, um, is quite telling. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat now a denarii? As, as it probably tells you in the little bit of small text in your Bibles. Yes, I can, I can read the small text. But, um, a denarii was about a day's worth of wages. So that's 200 days worth of wages that you're talking about. That's a lot of people and a lot of bread. So you can kind of imagine their their almost incredulous response, their head-scratching response. Are you serious? What are we we going to get all that bread from? We've not got that kind of money. 
It's head scratching and there's something humbling about that because it reminds us actually in the context of what God's doing, we are the human ones, okay? We are the human ones. And there are times when we encounter situations in which our power, our capabilities, our skills, our ingenuity, our creativity, all that stuff won't work, it won't cut it. What we need is the power of God. We can't always fix the things before us. But one of the things we most definitely can do is pray to the one who can. I'm going to take my hobby horse as an example. Okay, now, I, I, I am speeding through point, point three here, okay? Um, so, um, Brexit. That great example. Why do I keep picking on Brexit, you might ask? The reason I keep picking on Brexit is because we're living through it. It's relevant to everything that we encounter throughout the week and, 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 our, and how we live and show Jesus through it. Does anybody here actually know how to fix a completely divided nation? We can't. We, our heads, we, we scratch our heads and we don't know what to do. But let me ask another question. Are we praying for our leaders, that they would have wisdom and humility and unite the nation? Are we praying for peacemakers who would rise up in our nation? Are we praying for reconcilers? As part of the kingdom of God, actually, there should be many times that go beyond our ken, use the proper Scottish word for no knowledge, and skill. These are the moments that we need to look to God, get on our knees and pray, knowing that the needs for and the availability of that power of God is there because he is the good shepherd who has compassion. We need the power of God. Because Jesus takes these ordinary friends, bread and fish, and they just keep on going and going and going. Now, I don't know about yourselves, but when I buy a loaf of bread, it generally is gone in about half a day. And I don't even know who's taking it. It goes quick. But in this case, Jesus takes the smallest, meager amount of things and it goes and it goes and it goes. And there's so much different ways that you can look at that about the power and provision of God when we offer ourselves in faith to him. But in this context, what you're seeing here is that, that Jesus is taking this power that he has as the good shepherd and he's using it in a really practical way to meet the needs of the people who are there in this rather desolate place. Desolate is used a lot of times. They were in the middle of no, nowhere at this point. Jesus is using that power to provide for them. And the impact of that isn't just full bellies. It isn't just full bellies. Because these stories of the feedings of the thousands are filled with imagery. Often we get caught up in the numbers that are mentioned, but there's other really important parts of it as well. The reclining element is very important. Because reclining is about table fellowship. It means a meal together, a coming together. Jesus is using the power that he has to bring the people together. Satisfaction has strong elements and overtones with shalom, which is this image and idea and concept of restoration, of wholeness, of completeness, this holistic harmony with God, with those around us and with the creation that we live in. Jesus doesn't come merely to feed like some heavenly powered fast food shop. He's using that power to bring 
the people to God for restoration and to draw the people together again because he is that good shepherd, the one that's destroying the poison of sin in the areas that's infected both people and our creation. And finally, we are sent in the power of God. That power isn't merely in heaven. It resides upon each of us as well. As we go into our week, as we make decisions, as we pray, God's power and provision are always with you. Let us remember that. We are the disciples of today, the ambassadors. And we do this ultimately not in our own abilities, but in the strength of Jesus. But are we calling out for it? As we come together this morning and we look at at what God is saying to us and we look at the plans for, for our building and we discuss that together, these things are so vitally important and they're exciting and we're eager to have a look at those things. But what I always want us to try and keep in mind is that God is sending us and calling us, yes, to that stuff, but to go out there and to impact this world so that when we have buildings, when we have spaces, we can draw people in because we are connected with people. We are showing that love and compassion of God to people. This world needs hope. People need hope. Badges like this remind us of that and the, the, the difficulty and the challenges of living in our, our, our culture today and the effect that it can have on people. Jesus is hope. And not an ideology. He is, I believe, the embodiment of it. The one who's transforming power 